Hello, everybody. This is Justin Treadway, and welcome to the first episode of my new podcast, Super Friends. I am going to be having various uh, members of the community and players on the show, and it's just going to be one-on-one talks, and it's going to be a way to get to know some things about uh, community members and players that you may or may not already know. Uh, today, my first guest is going to be Taya Steele. Uh, you may know Taya from her Star City article about cube drafting. She also runs a blog called Mast Admirers, where she talks about cube amongst other topics. And she's also a pretty vocal member of the Magic community on Twitter. So welcome to the show, Taya. How are you doing? Pretty good. So I guess my first question is, I'd just like you to introduce yourself to people, uh, just tell us a little bit about yourself and where you live and how old you are. <laughs> okay. Um, I'm 26, and I live in Kutztown, Pennsylvania, which is kind of rural Pennsylvania. Um, I'm a grad student in computer science. Um, that's, that's what I do for non-magic life. All right. Well, I guess to start with, for people who are not familiar with you, um, how long have you been playing Magic? Um, so let's see. I started playing Magic in the summer before Shards of Lara Block came out. Um, so when when I met Justin, um, I didn't know what Magic was. I, as far as I could tell, it was, you know, Maybe something like Dungeons and Dragons. I had no idea what it was. And um, Justin described it to me as being a game for smart people. And that that hit me where I live. <laughs> like, well, I, I can do that. <laughs> yeah, I'm a smart person, yeah. So, um, so would you would you recommend that technique for uh, most new players, or is that just uh, is that person-specific? If you think that you're addressing someone vain... <laughs> sure, play, play to their weaknesses. Yeah, exactly. All right. So um, when you started, how did you feel? Like, I guess the question for most new players is it's always this question of, you know, how how long do you keep the training wheels on? Do you feel like when you started it was like walking slowly into a cold pool or did you just jump right in? Um, I guess a little bit of both because when I started playing um, – I actually learned to play magic with the cube, um, which I guess maybe we'll talk about. But um, for those of you who don't know what it is, um, it's in the one I was playing, it's basically a collection of the best cards for limited ever. So it's an extremely high-powered format, and because it's a limited format, it's typically a draft format. And I think it would be pretty, pretty crazy to start someone who didn't know how to play magic um, drafting and then playing a deck, but what I started with was playing decks that someone else had drafted and then had just left together for me to play with. So um, the first game of Magic I ever won was off of Mock's Lotus Mind Twist, <laughs> which is, I guess, a little weird, right? Yeah, that's yeah, that's how you that's how you start. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I would say that in, in a sense, the training wheels were on. I mean, for a while, you know, I'd play with, with my hand revealed so that, you know, whoever I was playing could let me know if there was something going terribly wrong. And I found that helpful because, you know, it is a complicated game. And there's a lot to, there's a lot to keep in mind. And there's a lot of things that, you know, when you've been playing for a little while become really obvious. But, um, 
I think it's important when you're teaching someone to take a step back and realize how how much there is to keep in mind all the time. So, um, so in that sense, I think you know the training wheels were on for a little while, and in the sense that I wasn't actually drafting, but um, you know, but in the sense of you know, the first few games of Magic I played, you know, had probably somewhat thirty different mechanics involved in them, you know. When you start off with like morph morph and split second, you know. Sure. Things are at least a little bit complex. (laughs) Well, so so here's a question then. Do you feel that some of the sets that are geared towards new players these days are actually doing them a disservice by watering them down too much? Or do you think that that's okay for the average new player? Um... That's a good question, and I'm not sure how I'd feel, you know, if I had started with M11. I don't think those sets are boring, um, and I think M11, I think it would be an excellent place to start compared to, for example, those Planeswalker dual decks that they gave out, the little 30-card ones that they gave out at events right. a while back. But those are really boring. Really, really boring. Yeah, and, there's there's really no interaction there. It's just vanilla, vanilla. Right, and especially, you know, I remember like, the blue decks being just terrible because it's just slow card draw and counter spells and tiny flyers. So you can imagine the games you win are going to be just hideously boring. Um, you know, which isn't, which is completely different than like how blue works in M11, for example. And that's one of the reasons I like Joe. One of the reasons I like drafting that set is because it doesn't feel like there's one color that's a terrible place to be. Well, except maybe red. But anyway, that's a different topic. (laughs) (laughs) So I guess it kind of depends on the person, but I don't think it's a bad idea to start with more complexity if it'll keep someone interested as they learn. Cool, yeah. I I think that it's important to show the more interesting side of the game to a new player because sometimes, like you said, those 30-card decks are just so boring that... I'm not really entirely sure how that would even grab you as a new player if that was your only your only view of the game. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So you had mentioned the cube, and I definitely want to talk with you about the cube. But before we get into that, um, you're talking about formats. You know, you mentioned M11. That was a, a format that you liked. But what is your favorite? Well, not your favorite format, but what's been your favorite set so far since you've been playing? Um. For limited, for constructed. Oh, for limited, I guess. I loved um, Alara Block, the whole whole block. I think um, I I think that was a a set where I really felt like I understood drafting in it, and I really liked a few of the you know, good archetypes. Um, Olivier Ruel was doing a drafting series on Star City at the time that I think was really good. Um, and that helped me learn about that format. So I really liked it. I mean, I just felt like you could draft a really fun, powerful deck, and I think that would have been a great set to do backwards because Alara Reborn was so much more powerful than the rest. Yeah. You know, I definitely felt like I was I was tending towards blue-white aggro a lot of the time because the Stormblade is so strong, and you could get Talon Trooper, like, 14th for some reason, and there were those like cute combos with Sludge Strider and Parasitic Strix and Esprozoa and Bopter Foundry. There, was, there were a few cute cute things you could do in there. 
Um, but then I'd always be really sad when I opened you know, a blood right elf or a behemoth sludge in a Lara barn. Right. So I think those would have been great to do, to do the other way around. So you like... Uh, Shards of Alara as, as your favorite limited set, and I know about you that you are a diehard Jund fanatic, correct? I do love the Jund. You do love the Jund. <laughs> so, how do you feel about Cascade as a mechanic? Well, both for limited and constructed. I suppose limited first, and then your thoughts on uh, constructed. I think it's an interesting card evaluation testing mechanic for limited. I, mean, I remember when cards like um, the bounce, the like five mana sorcery speed bounce a permanent cascade spell. Do you know do you remember which one? Yeah, deny reality, I believe. Yeah, I think so. Um, when that was spoiled, people were just like, this is heinous. It's just the worst card I've ever seen. And it's true, you know, you don't usually want to pay five mana sorcery speed to bounce something. But it ended up being a pretty strong card in that draft format. And, you know, I think that all of the Cascade spells were pretty undervalued at first, um, for both limited and constructed. Um, so I think, I think that's interesting about it. I mean, it's definitely a frustrating mechanic when you're on the wrong side of it. There's no doubt about that. Right. But, um, you know, I don't think it's, I don't think it's completely boring for constructed either because, I think people kind of even took it as like, well, just you know, blood braid and whatever you cast cascade into, you know, that'll it's just it's just free, that'll be good. But I think when you look at why Jund was so good compared to um, for most of the time compared even compared to Naya, which got to run, you know, some of the same cards and had really good stuff like like Knight of the Reliquary that you could cascade into. I think what Jund had going for it is that most of the time you cascaded into either a three mana spell um, which was usually a two-for-one itself, or, you know, your two-mana spell was Putrid Leech, which was my two-mana four-four. So I think that Jund, you know, was able to really use Cascade well, and I think that's maybe not the most profound thing, but it's, um, it's, not, it's not random either. I think there's a reason why you were, you know, there's a reason why you were always getting seven lots of mana work off the Blood Raid Elf. So it's, it's fair to say that you, you like Cascade as a mechanic? I'm not sure it should come back. I mean, it's people really hated it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not saying I think it should come back, but um, I, I found it interesting to play. And you know, people played enough that Jund Mirror, I think, to eventually understand that it wasn't wasn't a random mirror. Um, so you know, if you're claiming that a deck involves no skill and then a mechanic involves no skill, then why should the mirror match involve skill? Like, I think that I think there is thought that goes into it. Yeah. I usually think it's wrong when people say that a deck is completely mindless. Right. Yeah, I mean, that, most of the time, I mean, it, it's funny because, you know, I think, I think any sort of beatdown deck, and especially, like, mono-red always gets nailed with the, uh, you know, idiot-style deck play, but really it's not. I mean, there's always a right and a wrong decision with any deck, and... You know, and, you know, whatever. Jund was the villain, so it's going to get extra amounts of hate. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's topical now with you know, Patrick Sullivan having won um, the Star City Open in Edison with you know Red Deck wins, and you know, people I think kind of understanding that they couldn't have won that event with that deck. Right. So. All right. Well, so 
We have Alara. Alara is your favorite limited set. Jund is probably your favorite deck ever. What is your favorite card ever? And I'm talking anything. Limited, constructed, like what is your fa absolute favorite card? That's really tough. Um, oh, that's just an impossible question. <laughs> um, you know, I really love Aetherfile. Sure. And... Uh, I mean, I love Aether Vile so much that I love Sarah Avenger by proxy, just because it's, it's so charming. <laughs> there's, just, there's a part of you that just loves the fact that you're cheating that thing out somehow? Yeah, it's so, so early. A whole one turn early. <laughs> so, um, I don't know. I really love Aether Vile. Um, it's hard to, it's so hard to answer that. Um... Yeah, they printed a few cards over the years. <laughs> they have. They have printed a few. I mean, it's got to be something from the queue. Um, I really love, love Decree of Pain, which isn't in our queue anymore, unfortunately. But that's a, such a good card. Um, I don't know. Mother of Ruins is hard to say no to. <laughs> All right, so I mean, I guess it's fair, <laughs> it's fair to say that it's, it's hard to choose which of your children is, mm -hmm. is your favorite. If I had to choose like an, a card I love irrationally, it would have to be Watch Wolf. Sure, <laughs> no doubt about that. Yeah, Watch Watch Wolf. It also is charming to me because it has just the dumbest flavor text in the world, right? Isn't that the one where it's like only only, only in Ravnica do the wolves watch the sheep? Yeah, I think it's something like that. So, I just yeah. don't understand why it doesn't have vigilance. <laughs> why it doesn't what? Why it doesn't have vigilance? I mean, it's watching. Isn't that, isn't that just... Well, I suppose all constant constant watching makes you tired, and eventually you need to turn sideways. That's true. I can see that. So here's a question for you, moving on to a little bit more uh, community issues. Uh, what are your thoughts on Planeswalkers? They've been around for a while now. They're obviously going to be around permanently. They have become sort of the figurehead for marketing uh, the game, but you know they really have drastically changed the way uh, limited works when they appear in limited, and also, I guess, how constructed works. So, what are your thoughts on Planeswalkers? Um, I, I can't say I love playing games that are dominated by Planeswalkers. They're, they're just, they, it just sometimes feels unfair in a way that other, other cards, no matter how good, don't because they really change the game when they come down. Um, where your opponent, your opponent is just basically playing a completely different game than you are when you have a Planeswalker, and they don't. Um, just both in terms of like how they have to make choices, um, and how they have to deal with like the recurring card advantage that you're getting. Um, I don't know. I can't. I, mean, I don't want to say I dislike them because I think that the flavor is really cool, and I mean, they definitely add some freshness to the game. It's a completely different card type where you can do something completely different. And again, you know, it's a card that I a card type that I think is fairly difficult to evaluate. Um, my understanding, although I wasn't playing at the time, is that people really misevaluated the Lorelin Planeswalkers when they first appeared. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we're basically completely wrong for the most part in terms of which ones would see constructive play. Um, but they've all been, they've almost all been very good. I think 
really only knew Chandra and uh, Sark and Bull didn't see significant constructed play. And I think that that's probably a little bit too good. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I understand that Wizards, I think, I believe someone at Wizards has said that they want you to, you know, if you open a Planeswalker in a draft, know that it's good and know that you should probably take it and that you should play it. And that's fine, but cards don't have to all see play and constructed in order to be, you know, good and limited. And I think that they're probably a little bit too powerful. Um, just in terms of the fact that, like, I don't really want, I wouldn't want to play constructed if every deck was a variation on Super Friends. Right. Um, it's just, I think it's a little bit boring. And just legend ruling all the time is really painful. Yeah. I think that's really a not, a not fun thing to do in constructed. Um, especially if you're playing a non-blue deck and you can't, you can't impact your opponent, you know, playing their Planeswalker first. So if they're on the play and they're, you know, you're playing a mirror, um, you're really on the back foot. Just, yeah. I think, I think that's, I don't know, not the greatest thing. So. So I guess segueing, that's a good segue from Planeswalkers into Mythics. The other topic that seems to come up quite a bit is Mythics, and they actually, it's hard to remember that they came out after Planeswalkers, uh, especially since Planeswalkers feel like the most Mythic cards. What are your thoughts on Mythics, and I guess, how did you feel about them? You were entering the game right when they were showing up, correct? That's right. So the first set I, you know, looked at spoilers for was, I was a Shards of Alara. And that was the first set of mythics. So, do you do you like the idea of mythics? Um, I mean, people seem to be really torn on how they feel, and sometimes it seems like it depends on how new they are to the game and their feelings towards mythics. Hmm. Um. I mean, I definitely, I definitely am not troubled conceptually by mythics, and I think that a lot of it is like the mythics is about the you know the perceived cost of constructed as a result of having, um, you know, some of the best cards in the game. Right. And I think that that's still kind of an open question about whether or not, you know, whether or not your typical tier one standard deck is actually more expensive than it used to be. Um, you know, for example, I think people were very convinced of that when Mythic was at the forefront, you know, which is which is clearly a really expensive deck. Um, but that's not, that's not quite the average. And there are certainly pre-mythic decks that were also expensive. And I mean, the, I guess the fundamental thing to me is that, you know, no one has to have a tier one constructed deck. So right. I appreciate the frustration of wanting to play constructed and wanting to play a tier one deck and not wanting to spend that amount of money on it, but I do think it's a little bit blown out of proportion, um, especially since, you know, there are, there are, you know, there are other less expensive things to do if, if that's a problem. And, you know, I know in the, in the Q community, for example, a lot of people got into Q because they didn't want to keep maintaining constructed decks, or maybe they did, but the people they were playing with didn't. And then, you know, what do you do? Like, you can't really play standard with your friends if, you know, they have you know, 
their budget, you know, budget tribal deck, and you have, um, you know, we want control. It's not, it's not fun anymore. So um, for a lot of people, I think that's a way to kind of equalize their playgroups in terms of what everyone is willing to spend. Yeah. And kind of remove that barrier. So I don't know. I mean, I don't know if mythics are necessary, but the game certainly you know, is, is still growing. You know, they haven't, they haven't measurably hurt the game, even if people are troubled by, you know, by the cost of competitive decks. Right. Well, speaking of competitive decks, uh, how do you feel about standard these days? Is it as wide open as you would like? Do you find it as compelling as uh, you've found it over the last few years? And uh, what deck do you like the most currently? Well, I haven't kept up really well on standard. I mean, kind of related to the last topic, um, I mean, I definitely found it... I, I thought that standard became too expensive to keep up with. Um, so after, when Alara Block rotated out, I stopped keeping up with Constructed. And part of that was that, you know, it became really difficult to maintain two decks um, for each of us that didn't have any overlap or to have two play sets of, you know, to have two play sets of cards. And even when Alara Block, Block was in, we kind of had this problem where, you know, you'd want to play Super Friends, I'd want to play Mythic, but you couldn't actually do that. Right. And, you know, it is frustrating. And it kind of, that did make me stop keeping up the standard. So, um, so I have to say I'm not maybe <laughs> the best person to talk about this. But it does seem like there's a reasonable diversity. Um, Cago, or Cobblade rather, has certainly been really dominant over the last couple of events. So maybe that's maybe that's too dominant. I'm not sure, um, but it does seem like there's a lot of there are a lot of interesting choices. Um, I think compared to the previous standard, we actually have true Pegro decks that are good now, which I think is due to the mid-range decks being weaker. Or mm -hmm. That's how I interpret that. I feel like John was really stifling to the aggro decks. And in a way, Mythic was too, because it could be just as fast. But it also played Bane Slayer Angel, which is kind of troubling. <laughs> aggro yeah. deck. So, I mean, I do think that there's um, a you know, quality mix of archetypes, and it seems like there's a lot of innovation. Like, I feel like there have been new decks that have, you know, new decks have come up pretty frequently. So, I don't really see much to complain about. As far yes. as what, oh sorry. Oh sorry. <laughs> um, as far as what deck I like, um, I like the green white, the green white um, aggro deck that um, that came up last weekend. I like Cobblade. Um, I don't know. I'm kind of a I'm kind of a sucker for equipment. So anything that's playing stone forge and stick, I'm pretty into it. Yeah, she uh, talk about a card that has just come up in a. Uh in price and talking about like evaluating cards. Mm -hmm. Well, that's one where I kept seeing people think, you know, oh, keeping keep seeing people say in these finance articles like, oh, you know, sort of body and mind's been printed, so unfortunately will probably go up. We should probably pick these up, and then you know, and kind of like that kind of refrain with each equipment that came out, and then it finally, I guess, finally that came to a head and got the deck and. Really yeah, it seems funny to me too that it, it's a card that seems like it's designed to play around counter spells, 
it seems like it should find a home in the aggro deck, and instead, you know, it's, it seems more suited to the control deck, which I... I mean, obviously it works in both, but it seems funny to me that uh, a card like that is dominant in the control deck. Yeah. I think it's a really interesting card. I think it's, you know, it's, in retrospect, pretty aggressively... I mean, not only costed, but would it still be playable without that ability? Probably. Which is yeah. pretty powerful. So... I don't know. I mean, it's, it's a really good card. I like it. So standard is doing okay as far as you're concerned? I think so. But, I mean, I haven't really seen a standard that I felt like was really bad. So maybe I'm a poor judge. I mean, probably if you thought that the Alara block standard was not good, you'd probably think the same about this one. Right. <laughs> but as far as I'm concerned, there are enough, there are enough reasonable choices. Well, if you like standard, what format do you think uh, needs more love? Either casual, online, or real life? Like, what format do you think Wizards should either do more to promote, or what format just needs a little bit of love? Hmm. Um, that's a good question. I think that block is a cool format. I've been playing it a little bit online, but really not as much as I would like. Um, and, I mean, I think it would be cool if that was a format that people supported um, in real life, or that, or that the Wizards supported in real life. Yeah. Especially since there's a lot of overlap with, um, you know, there's a lot of overlap with Standard, obviously. And, but maybe they want a completely fresh cultural format once a year, so I'm not sure if that's a factor or if they just don't want to divide or divide up the player base too much. But I do think block's pretty cool and it gives you a little preview of preview of next standard, which is kind of cool, or it, it can, depending on how the sets um, how the sets share influence. Yeah, block is funny. It oftentimes feels like the forgotten a forgotten format because usually it appears once briefly for a weekend and then vanishes. It's really popular online though. It's the, the daily events fire a lot. I think in part, um, you know, it's a it's a current format that doesn't require chases. <laughs> How novel! <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I like block. I like all right, who do you like these days as a player? Who is your favorite player? Ooh, that's tough. Um, well, I guess yeah, it's a little bit it's a little bit hard to say. Um, Paolo is someone who I feel like I would just I read everything he writes. I just think he's a great writer, and we got to keep track of him recently. And he seems like he seems like a really nice guy too. Um, but I, you know, I really appreciate people who write well. Um, yeah, the thing I like about PV too is I, I love how he he's always the voice of sanity in the forums, uh-huh. whatever whatever forums deteriorate into yeah. just ridiculousness. He always comes in there to you know police it. And it's, <laughs> it's always great. Um, well, you know, you know, I'm a big fan of Louis Laskin. Yeah, Louis Laskin. Now, is this based on skill, fashion sense? What are we What are we talking here? Well, you know, I I. I heard his name because you know the first, I heard his name first because he created Super Friends, and then he was in the booth at one of the Star City Lot 
for, for Star City Live at one of the um, Star City opens. And he just seemed, I mean, he just seemed like, a, you know, a nice person. Um, sometimes the, sometimes anecdotes get a little bit grating. <laughs> and um, it wasn't like that. Uh, he likes Brexian Brazier. So do I. Sure. You know, he just seems like someone who's usually playing something innovative. I feel like he's, um, you know, I feel like he's playing something that is new and does well really frequently. Yes, along the same lines, like Jerry Thompson is someone who you know, just, is such, like, such a normal star. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I guess, that's, I guess that's where I am. Am I forgetting anyone? <laughs> well, I mean, I guess the only one, the only one of note is uh, Owen, if you are a Jund aficionado. Oh, Tom Ma. <laughs> oh, Tom, Tom Ma, sure. <laughs> team, team Jund. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it seems, for the most part, you're you're pretty positive on magic in general and the things that Wizards has done recently. Uh, is there anything that you don't like that's happened in magic recently or that Wizards has done recently? The reserve list thing is really disappointing, I think. The reserve list? Mm-hmm. And I feel like I have a pretty um, balanced perspective on that because while there are a ton of reserve list cards I don't have that I would like to have... You know, I own power, but the thing is, I would never sell those cards, so it doesn't really, I mean, if the price dropped, it doesn't really bother me, because I want those things anyway, so I don't feel like, I don't feel like that's really a concern for me, and I do wish that, you know, I wish that Legacy was more accessible, because, you know, I think it's a really cool format. And I know, you know, people like, um, you know, people like, like Drew Levin will tell you that it's more accessible than it seems. But I think, you know, the, just the, even if it's, even if it's just perception, the perceived impact of having, you know, 80, 80 and $100 dual lands is, is pretty overwhelming, especially when it's not just that those cards are expensive, but a lot of people get their cards through trading, and those cards are difficult to trade for. Right. Which is another complaint of, you know, about Mythics is, you know, people will say, I have more than enough trade to equal these cards in value, but no one will part with them. And I think you know, that's a real problem. But it seems like Wizards, I don't know if that they ever would have printed, you know, reprinted Dual Lance, but they wanted to change that and weren't able to, so I can't really, I can't really be upset with them. <laughs> Right, so you, you you don't like the decision, but you feel it was out of their was out of their hands. I mean, it seems it seems that way. I mean, it's hard to it's hard to explain a sudden backtrack like that. Otherwise, you know, like saying we're going to reprint these cards because we can, but we not need more. So, especially when people like um, Ben Blywise um, and Menendian apparently said that they supported. Um, yeah. So, I, I, I guess that's that's my interpretation of it, but it may not be correct. But I doubt we'll ever know anything more. Yeah. Well, all right. So that is a good that's a good intro there to you know your life outside of the cube. But I feel like yeah, I would be doing a disservice if I didn't talk about the cube with you. Mm-hmm. So you got into magic 
and learned how to play Magic with the cube, um, is it fair to say that that is kind of what started your interest in the format, or like, how, how did cube become your thing? Well, I mean, I, I mean, it's completely fair to say that that's why I'm interested in the format, at least in part, because I'm not sure when I even would have learned about the format if that hadn't been the case. Um, probably through Evan Irwin, who did a lot to, you know, to promote the cube. As right. Well. But um, what I like about it is it lets you, you get, you know, you play powerful cards, so the games are almost always interesting. Um, and, you know, all, almost always different because it's a singleton format. And it's just nice to play something that um, feels interesting and skill testing and competitive, but, you know, it doesn't cost money. <laughs> you can do it at your house. Right. That sort of thing. So, and I actually think that it is, in a way, very accessible to the new player because. Kind of like how people talk about how the the mulligan rules and the possibility of um, you know land flood or land screw help new players because they can win against people they should never actually beat. Mm -hmm. um, I think the cube is kind of like that too because sometimes you know you just the cards you're playing are so powerful that even you know you can make mistakes and you're still you know you're your fairy godmother gets you out of the situation. <laughs> and I think, you know, I think if you're a new player, you have to win occasionally or you're not going to enjoy it. <laughs> so, you know, the ways to deal with that, I think, are to either play against other new players or people at your skill level or play with, you know, some assistance, like I was talking about, you know, playing, you know, playing with my hand revealed or, mm. you know, to... Another way is to play a format where there's sometimes you can just win on the back of your powerful cards. So, you know, like I like I told you, my you know, Mox Lotus Mind Twist victory is not necessarily skill based, <laughs> mind twist based. <laughs> so, but you know, as a new player, it's still exciting and fun. Yeah. So I had seen you talk in forums and on Twitter. Uh, recently about the difference between what you view as the cube and what you've called a custom draft set. Yeah. Could you could you explain a little bit about what, what you mean by that? Let me clarify really quick that I don't think there's... there. If you say you have a cube, then you have a cube. Like, I don't think there's one definition or that it's wrong to say that something, you know... I'm not saying, like, oh, this isn't the cube. But I do think that there's a difference between interpreting the cube as a custom draft set and interpreting it as a custom draft set consisting of, you know, the most powerful cards or, you know, the most powerful cards for limited. And the reason for that is that when people talk about cubes where they, you know, they're saying, like, well, Soul Ring is really unfair and, you know, having the best acceleration, the colorless, is really unfair to clean, so we're just going to cut that. Like, that almost certainly will create a better format, I agree. Um, but if you do that, you're no longer playing with the best cards. So I just think it's a distinction in how you think about how you make choices and how you, know, I mean, it's a, it's like a fundamental philosophical difference about how you decide what will be in your cube or not. So, um, 
the guy who's been writing cube articles for China Fireball is kind of in the camp of um, removing or including cards to create the best format. And I think that that's actually kind of like more, a more difficult thing to do. It certainly gives you more freedom. Um, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But my cube is I would a million times rather try to balance out um, the, bet, the good cards than remove them. And I just think that's a difference in how, you know, it's just a difference in how you think about what it is, um, what the cube is. So I don't think there's anything wrong with calling a format that doesn't run soul ring a cube, but right. it's, different. it's different than a cube where you say, you know, even though the 10 best cards are blue, I'm going to run them all. Yeah. <laughs> you know, or, you know, or it's different than a format where you say, you know, having this many rats is making it too difficult to play aggro, therefore I won't. Um, and, I mean, it is difficult. I mean, it's certainly really hard to balance a format when the best cards of each color are not, are not equal. There's, there's just no world where the best 10 red cards ever are as good as the best 10 blue cards. And that's just, that's just something that has been not balanced throughout Magic's history. And, but you can still, um, you know, you can still correct that. And it's taken us a long time to get to that point, but I think we're finally getting there. And, you know, it involves a lot of thought about playing, playing to each color's strengths or um, you know, figuring out what you can do that will be difficult even for someone with those colorful cards. So, speaking of balancing the, the cube, are there any cards that are currently in your cube that are kind of in there begrudgingly? Like, there are cards that you would, you know, if you were considering fun, you would never have them in there? Like a card that you just don't like playing against? Well, um, I mean, Chite is probably pretty close to that. It kind of, you know, I kind of groan every time it gets played, and I'm not sure I really enjoy winning with it either. <laughs> but, you know, it's just so powerful. You just can't, I mean, you can't exclude it unless you're excluding cards for the, on the basis of being too good. Right. And, you know, it is something, though, where I feel like we've made, we've made a really concerted effort to add more artifact destruction, and all of those cards have gone down in value. I mean, I've definitely played many games recently where you know, I had a sort of fire and ice and it never really impacted a game. You know, and I think when you get to that point, you can consider those cards, like they, may, they may still be troublingly good, but it's not game over when they play, and that's the important part. Um, is there anything else that's kind of... Is there anything else that I don't think is fun? Um, I can't think of anything. I mean, I have to say, like, I don't, I don't get upset about unfair game states. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't really bother me. Like sometimes I'll look at something and I'll say like, wow, that's really good. That's way too good. But it never really, I don't really find it too troubling. It doesn't, it doesn't upset me. So. So I'm sure you've, you've played with and tried a lot of cards in your cube. Mm -hmm. What card do you think, is there a card that stands out in your mind as a card that you kind of you tried out, and you didn't think it was going to be good, and then it just ended up blowing your mind, and you can't imagine not having it. Well, um, I guess this, this is a little bit embarrassing, but for a long time we didn't have survival of the fittest, 
motif, and um, I'd never I'd never played with it, but um, you know I think you know we talked about it, and I think you thought of it as being sort of more of like a combo piece, and I think we've been very reluctant to include parts that we interpreted as being part of a combo because to me anyway it's really boring to just draft to just you know say I'm gonna pick one I'm gonna you know pack one pick one this voltaic key and then we all get time ball later on. Right. If that's the only thing that your voltaic key is for, that's just the boringest thing you could possibly do. <laughs> sure. Um, to me. So I think I think there have been a number of kind of combo cards that have been played in, in combos and constructed that we've waited way too long to include. Survivors, survivors combos. All right. On the on the opposite foot, where opposite foot? That is, is that a, is that a saying? Yeah, sure. sure. <laughs> okay, so yeah, on the opposite foot, uh, is there anything that you were really sad about? Like, you know, you, you thought you had broken the format wide open, you put this card in, and it just did not perform. Copper tablet. Copper tablet. <laughs> I mean, I didn't think it was going to be broken, but I just thought Sulfuric Vortex is so cool. <laughs> and now anyone can run it. Right, but uh, the life gain clause is really relevant. So Sulfuric Vortex. Um, does two damage to each player during their upkeep, and you can't gain life. Players can't gain life. And it costs red, red, one. And copper tablet costs two colorless, and it says, um, you know, during each player's upkeep, they lose one life, or it does more damage to them or something. And, you know, we just thought, oh, it's like a mini, you know, it's like an early mini Sephiroth Vortex that any aggressive deck can run. And it just didn't work out that way at all. Um, uh, one damage versus two is a huge difference. Yeah. Not having that life gain clause is really relevant. And also, artifacts are just easier to destroy than enchantments in our cube. Sure. All right, well, what do you do when you're not cubing? Um, Since I, I feel like all anyone knows about you, if they just know you from online, is that you cube. But I imagine that you do other things. <laughs> outside of magic? Yeah, outside of magic. Or I guess if you have some other uh, magic interests that you know, we haven't addressed, I'd like to know about that as well. Um, no, I think, I think Cube is pretty much my, my magic interest right now. Um, outside of magic, I, well, up until recently, I was rock climbing quite a bit. And that's something I really love, really um, just one of the coolest things I've done in the last few years. But one of the things I've enjoyed the most is to um, is to start rock climbing. It's just um, it's kind of like it's like a puzzle game. It's an awesome workout. You just you really feel like you're getting strong. There's something really powerful about like lifting your body up, you know. And and I think you know it makes you kind of feel like you're an action movie. <laughs> Sure. Awesome. <laughs> so, uh, up until recently, I've been rock climbing. Um, other than that, I don't know. I'm kind of a kind of an all-around nerd, I guess. Like I, an all-around nerd. An all-around nerd. <laughs> I like um, Left 4 Dead, Team Fortress. Uh, we play PC or not um, PS3 games. Little Big Planet is awesome. <laughs> um, I really love that. 
What's your uh, What's your favorite class in Team Fortress? Pyro. Pyro. No question. I like NG too, but um, even sometimes you just want to burn stuff. Well, I understand completely. So yeah, the, the cutest thing is the Pyro's hat, um, the little the little amoeba, it's the little fungus, and I think it's supposed to be one of those funguses that infects ants and makes them zombies, and they have to like climb up to the highest part and like. The highest thing you can get to. Oh, like in Planet it, Earth? Well, like in Planet Earth. I think that's what the Pyro has, but it, you know, it says uh, at least it's still telling you to burn things, which I just think is the most charming thing I've ever, I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so it's definitely Pyro. And um, I, like to, I like to read, you know, I do computer science stuff, so I, um, you know, I end up doing programming. Well, yeah, you are, uh, I guess, not, not to segue completely back into magic, but uh, speaking of programming stuff, you are responsible for the random pack generator that uh, appears on cubedrafting.com, correct? That's true. It's not that fancy, but it's, uh, it is new. <laughs> so, you know, so it's not that fancy. So you're just a, a moderately fancy woman. You're not severely fancy. Yeah. Okay, that's safe to say. So is there anything else that you're excited about these days, movies or books? Like, what are you, what are you looking forward to in the next few months? Um, okay, True Blood coming out on DVD. So we don't have we don't have cable or TV, so all the, all the TV is on DVD. Trade waiting TV. Yeah, exactly. Trade waiting TV. So, um, but I've I've really loved True Blood. It's a really good show. Kind of took a while to grow up with me, but um, I really enjoy it. Who's your favorite character? Sucky. Okay, yeah. Yeah. I, I kind of like the main characters. I like Buffy. No one else likes Buffy. Oh, well, speaking of Buffy, since this has appeared recently on, on Twitter, and, uh, you know, Asif and Flores were, were talking about it with you recently, what is better overall in quality versus episodes, Angel or Buffy? Oh, Angel. Angel. And why? Why do you think that? Because that is, that is a heated topic. Buffy has a lot of trick. I mean, it has a lot of really excellent episodes, but there's also, you know, I mean, there there are tons of episodes that you could completely ignore for the purpose of anything, <laughs> anything you care about. And especially in the early seasons, there, you know, there are some kind of standalone episodes that, in retrospect, I think are fairly are fairly throwaway. Um, Buffy also just doesn't have the same like strength of story arc overall that Angel has. If that yeah. Makes sense. Um, I think that I think that you know, one of the really powerful things about Angel is that it really builds from season to season, except for season four, which is just freaking awful. <laughs> yes, yeah, it's just such a good show, and um, I think more than Buffy overall, I really cared about um, all of the characters in Angel. Whereas I felt like I felt in Buffy that um, uh, some of the characters got a little bit too unrelatable for me at some point that made me not empathize with them long term. Like there were just times where you know, like Willow would do something that I would just think was like so dumb that it really took away from the rest of her character. For me. Yeah. And I think that Angel has a little bit more consistency there, so. And I felt, you know, by the end of the season, you feel really strongly about Angel and Wes and John and Fred and and, um, and Lila. I just think I just think um, Angel does a great job of making me care about everyone. 
besides Angel and Buffy, who is your favorite character in the uh, the Buffy Angel universe? Mm. Mm, that's tough. I really love I really love Wes. That's probably what I call it. That's more than Angel, actually. Oh, Spike. Oh, that's totally. <laughs> like Wes and Spike better than Angel. Who is this? Is this is a harder one? Who is the worst character? I'm sure it's Cordelia, Connor, or Riley, but or maybe even Kennedy, although she has less screen time. I really don't like Cordelia. Uh, I'll go with Cordelia here. Cordelia. I mean, she has a few nice moments, but. Um, do, you, do you think the mom, her, her mom hair just infects her in a way that she just can't ever recover from? <laughs> I mean, I didn't like her on Buffy. You know, when um, you know when I found out that she was on Angel, I took this like, a, a strike against the show. Like, I didn't want to see any more of her character. Ever. Yeah. And then in season one of Angel, she has kind of some, some redeeming moments. Um, I think, like, the moment where she goes to that... She goes to like a vampire's house and she like realizes he's a vampire. I think it's really it's just kind of like a cute moment. Yeah, and it promptly forgets all of that in the next <laughs> sixty-seven episodes. Right. Um, but overall, like I just find her really unrelatable, unlikable, and then in season four, she just completely goes to hell. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, Cordelia, I think, would be my least favorite character. Well, we are getting towards the end here, and we're going to start wrapping it up, but I have just a few more questions for you. Um, are you going to be attending any events in real life this um, year? Well, we are kind of in the neighborhood of Pro Tour Philadelphia, Grand Prix Pittsburgh, and Grand Prix Providence. Um, I could see potentially making it to all of those. Um, I think Grand Prix Providence would be really cool, so probably that, Philadelphia are the most likely. Cool. And if people want to contact you or get in touch with you or just check out what you're doing, uh, why don't you give us a rundown of how they could do that? Well, um, I am WMAC on Twitter, which is a pretty easy way to get a hold of me. And uh, my blog is maskedmirers.wordpress.com. Which is it's mostly used for just cube updates, but probably have a smattering of other topics. All right. Well, uh, I really enjoyed having you on. It was nice to talk to you. Uh, do you have any final thoughts for the listeners or anything you'd like to say? Thanks for listening. All right. Well, everybody, thank you for listening to the first episode of Super Friends. Uh, so for myself and Taya Steele, I'd just like to say thank you for listening, and uh, I hope to uh, hear some comments from you about what you liked, what you didn't like, and um, I'll see you next week. Goodbye.